Welcome to Broken Roads Radio with your host, Jason Zedlitz. I mean, I guess that's not the end of the story either, because Chris, you got hurt. You said yeah, a couple so, years later. Um, There's a big difference from when Anna was sick versus when you got sick. When I got and sick nearly two years later, our marriage was in a total different place. Um, we relied on each other for everything. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom. I worked entirely too much. I was working, uh, when I got hurt, I worked maybe seven months or so um, on full duty, uh, back to my normal job. And a guy that wasn't paying attention um, started a fire on accident. And the glue that we used uh, is made out of heptane, and it's really, really flammable. And uh, caught the machine on fire that was feeding a constant drip of this heptane uh, material, glue material, into this machine. Um, I was probably 80 to 100 feet away um, running on the same line, but just running the machine that winds it up, packages it. And I feel this burning sensation on my back and I'm like man it got hot in here really quick and then I see in the shrink wrap the flickers and I'm like okay so we got a little fire and uh which wasn't abnormal this machine when it caught on fire it caught on fire uh, it was 60 foot ceilings in the building and it knocked off fire retardant paint 60 feet up so it got pretty hot pretty quick within um, two and a half minutes I had it out from the time it started till the time it was out. Got it out, put it out with a uh, CO2 extinguisher. Um, obviously with it being a liquid, you didn't want to put any kind of other liquid on it to let it spread. There was a couple of barrels of straight heptane, not five feet away. It's just a miracle in itself that those didn't go off like a bomb. So we stayed in the area, cleaned it up. Nobody ever really thought anything of it at that moment. Um, come to find out a few weeks later evidently somebody said that there was a problem with the ventilation in that area so between what the rubber and the heptane mix put off carbon monoxide wise and then the co2 extinguisher that i used it just put a massive amount of chemical in there we would later find out several months later that i got chemical carbon monoxide poisoning is what they called it because they didn't know what all was in it. Uh, I went to the ER the first time about three or four days after the fire with a migraine. Uh, couldn't hardly open my eyes. I was really, really sick. Um, they went in, said, hey, you're just having migraines. It happens. It can't be linked to what had happened a few days before. That's not the problem. Just sometimes people your age mysteriously start getting migraines. Pretty much what they told us. Um, put me on oxygen which looking back probably is one of the reasons why I'm still here because uh, for carbon monoxide poisoning that's pretty much the fix for it is they put you on oxygen and kind of flush your system so we go through this a couple months go by every couple days I'm going to the ER or going to the doctor just with a migraine to where I can't even open my eyes can't do anything when I was at work keep my guts up, go back to work. Um, until eventually the supervisors would come by and say, hey, <laughs> call your wife, you're going home. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so this went on for a couple months. Finally, they were like, look, we can't have you on the line. So they put me on a forklift job. Finally, they uh, one of the older guys said, look, that's not safe because he's having to jump off and on the forklift. And so they put me on leave until they could figure out what was going on. And within about a week or two after them putting me on leave, I was just constantly going down, getting to where my motor functions were going down. I was sick more often, having migraines every day pretty much um, at that point. Um, my motor skills had went down. And so one of the ladies um, that I worked for uh, was also our uh, landlord at the time. She called me and I'm working on a project and uh, I called her earlier or something and told her I needed some different supplies from Lowe's or something. And uh, had went to Lowe's, came back. She called just, I guess, checking on the project, making sure I got everything I needed. They had everything I needed, see if we needed anything else. We were on the phone maybe a minute or two, and she just kind of really quickly got off the phone. And I wasn't, I was feeling a little weird. Uh, and so I decided, okay, I'm just, I'm going to go to the house and I'm going to rest for a few minutes, get something to eat. And uh, I hit the door and she's on the phone. She told me, she said, um, so I'm sitting at home. It's it's dark outside, and um, the kids are asleep. And uh, she said, I don't know where Chris is. She said, I don't know what he's doing, but you need to find him. Um, she said he is not making sense. He's not speaking clearly. She said that she was scared that he was having a stroke. So he knocked at the door, and I can count on maybe one or two hands the number of times I've seen Chris cry. And he opened the door, Jason, and he literally could not speak to me. He had lost the ability to speak, and tears were just running down his face. And then and, and when I would say a word, it would make any sense. It wouldn't have anything to do with what was going on. Um, so we wound up going to the ER that night. So we get to the ER, and we get checked in. They get us in a room right away. And so within... 12 or 14 hours, whatever it was, between visits at this point. The same nurse was there. And uh, so they get us back to a room. They do another MRI. They do another CAT scan. Didn't really find anything that they were concerned with that was abnormal, that they could really tell. Later in the visit, she told us that there's not a neurologist here. They don't have one that they can send this stuff to. We're going to have to go to a different hospital. Um, Dallas or San Angelo or San Antonio is the three options she gave us. So we're there and she comes in after they do all the tests and she goes, the doctor's not going to come in here and tell you this. She said, but y'all need to go somewhere else. She said, I've worked a lot the last two weeks. She said, I know I've seen you a lot in the last two weeks. She said, but I went back and pulled your file and looked at your visits. And she said, in the last 14 days, you've been here 17 times. Obviously, it's not getting better. And she said, you know, since you've lost the ability to speak, you're having these, at that point I was having tremors, um, was getting to where I could barely walk. By this point I was having to think, okay, how can I form a word? How can I walk? You know? Um, and so we get out of there, we go home, we go to church the next morning or that Sunday morning. Um, we talked to my mom, which is a nurse here in Tyler. And she said, Y'all come down here. She's been pretty quiet up to this point. I had called her and, and relayed all of the information 
Um, Krista is very sound, like in her advice. She doesn't overreact. I'm an overreactor. Um, and she didn't want to scare me in any way. But that Sunday, um, I called her because I was just, I had reached a breaking point. Again, just watching my seemingly 23, healthy 20, 20 something year old husband go from full functioning to not being able to pick up his legs to walk. I knew something was wrong. Um, and so I called her and I was like, Krista, I don't know what to do. And she was like, I'm not trying to scare you. But with as quickly as this is progressing, you need to get him here because every diagnosis that comes to my mind doesn't have a good outcome. And so I didn't even think about it. We packed the kids. We came, um, went to the ER. We got in with a great neurologist. Um, they admitted him directly to neuro ICU. Um, and they, they told me there, they told me he will not come out. You need to, you need to prepare your children. They thought he had something like Huntington's or ALS, um, something. They didn't connect the... We had, we had told every... Every time we went and saw a new doctor, we had always told them that I'd been involved with a fire, and they would, no, this couldn't cause yeah, that. it couldn't cause this. It couldn't cause this. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have any... The fire wasn't long enough. You didn't breathe. You, there's no way you could have breathed in enough stuff um, to, to cause any real damage and it wouldn't look like this even if it did it progressed really really quick Um, and finally after they got done doing all the MRIs and uh, one or two spinal taps and I don't know they did a PET scan that's how eventually they were able to see the brain damage Um, you know your your brain matter is a certain color and Chris's was black um, and, and it's supposed to be gray, I believe, on a PET scan. And it's, um, it was his temporal lobe, which affects your um, cognitive reasoning, your fine motor skills, like all, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so we were, we were finally getting some answers, but it wasn't a firm. They, they were still at that point. Yeah. Um, no. Saying no, it couldn't be that. Well, before they let me go from the hospital, a day or two before they let me go from the hospital, the, the neurologist comes in and he goes, look, y'all haven't stopped about this fire. We'll do a blood gas just to see. He said, it's not going to show anything. It, one, it's been too long since the fire. It's not going to show anything. And so they did the blood gas and it came back within a couple hours and he was back in the room and he was like, we need it to be, we needed it to be Huntington's or ALS or he said, this stuff is, there's medicine that's, treatable we can manage symptoms we can do things he said he's got carbon monoxide poisoning and there's at this point at this stage there's nothing we can do um they said he said we can we can take him to a hyperbaric chamber in dallas he said we may be able to flush some of the stuff out of his system but realistically he gave me zero hope of being able to come out of the hyperbaric chamber um, he said, um, they talked it over and there's nothing there can do. Mm. Um, pretty much they sent us, sent us home and said, um, if he needs pain meds, if he needs, he was like, whatever you think he needs, you call me and we'll look into it and we'll make it happen. Um, he said, you know, look into hospice, look into whatever you need to do to keep him comfortable. 
Um, they pulled me out of some of the continuous monitoring. Um, but I remember being so angry and sitting in my car and I'm thinking, I have got two children. At that point, I think Anna was two and Aiden was four or somewhere close to there. And I really felt like I just drew the short end of the stick. Do you feel like in that moment, though, you were, you know, it, it, your world is crumbling right before you. And you're praying so hard and, and so intensely, but it doesn't seem like there's an answer coming. Does, Absolutely. Do you feel like in that moment you wanted to just throw in the towel and be like, God, I give up on you? At, at that moment, I don't know that I ever felt like I wanted to give up on God. But it was a very dark place, and, and I struggled with how are we going to get through this? So in those moments, like, where did you find strength? Like, what, what just kept you taking that next step? It was definitely a lot of prayer. Um, I was so angry, so angry. They sent us home, and um, he kept, Chris kept, he did therapy, and he started getting a little bit better. Uh, we joke because whenever he did physical therapy, they told him, um, wear tennis shoes. You and know, I told Chris. Him, I told him I didn't have tennis shoes. I had boots. I had boots. And uh, she Mr. said, well, Downey. go get you some Go get you some tennis shoes. This will go a whole lot better. I said, if you're going to teach me to walk, you're going to do it in my boots. <laughs> he did. Um, and his, I'll never forget his, his speech therapy. Um, that like, was rough. That was really rough. And whenever he finished therapy, I remember sitting in the car, um, things that you take for granted with your spouse. I remember sitting in the car and he, he reached over and he patted my hand and he said, babe, I love you. And I remember that was like the first time that there was lots of stuttering. The kids had a lot of hurt and a lot of anger. I think Aiden more so than Anna. But I told Aiden, I said, you know, baby, we'll take 100 bad days rather than no days. Um, and Dr. K finally figured out that Chris has an autoimmune disorder. Um, and well, on, was... top, on, top of his, on top of his brain injury, and they just kind of feed off of each other. Um, the, the autoimmune disorder diagnosis didn't come for probably about three years yeah. after and uh i was going through uh several bad months uh and so i'd seen the neurologist probably three or four times in about a month and a half um which is you don't see a neurologist that much mm -hmm. uh, unless you're going in the hospital and uh so we come in one day and i'd just seen him the week before and uh come in and he we're walking into the office and he's going into a different patient's room i believe and he stops and looks at me and he said something's different about your face and i'm pretty sure he just forgot about the other patient at that point he came into the room and started poking me with a needle and doing all this stuff and grabbing these grip deals and checking my strength and going through all this stuff and he uh, he told us before we left that day, he goes, the lines on your forehead changed in the last week. And he something said, so something, something 
it's not looking the way that it has been. He said, and there's, there's a, it's a sign. He said, it's a, you know, he said, it's a real subtle, um, change. He said, but it's something. And, uh, he goes, I want to test you for, uh, some stuff. He said, we're going to do a nerve conductor test or something. Um, so he had me come back a few days later. Um, and, uh, he said, normally I don't do these tests. He said, to be quite honest, I haven't done one since probably college. Um, personally, he said, usually we hand it off to a, to a tech and they, they do it. He said, but I'm going to do yours. He said, cause I don't think it's going to show exactly what it would need it to see. And he said, it's going to take some time to, to figure this out. He said, this test will take 20, 30 minutes, hour and a half later. We're, uh, we're, we're still sitting there. And, uh, so in this test, they essentially take and shock you, shock your nerves. And to most people, it's, he said, it's usually not a big deal. He said, you'll feel it. He said, but it's not. Boy, you came off that table. So the first time he hits me, he hits me on one of my toes. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I almost kicked him. I'm pretty sure you did. Um, uh, and he's. He kept saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And if you know him, he's he's a Indian from India, Indian. And so his accent is... Yeah, his accent is, uh, is, is very, very thick. thick. <laughs> and so he kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Mr. sorry, Downey, Mr. Downey. Mr. Downey. Mr. Downey. Mr. Downey. Just, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. So, you know, an hour and a half, <laughs> two hours into this test, he finally goes, okay... I've got what I think I've got what I need. Hopefully we won't have to do any more of this. And I'm like, you get me out of this room. I ain't never coming back. So you better hope you got what you need. And, uh, <laughs> I believe you actually said that to him. I, I think I did. I think you um, did. And, and he, <laughs> I did he, a lot of apologizing he, that day. <laughs> yeah. She's done a lot of apologizing throughout this whole thing. Uh, and so, uh, he, he says, okay, well, I'm going to look all this over. He said, it's not textbook. By any means, he said, what I'm seeing is not good, but it may give us some answers. And so he said, you know, let me go over this and uh, give me a week or so and I'll, I'll have you back in the office. He goes, this test that we did um, is not textbook, he said, but the reason why I think it's not textbook is because of the brain injury. He said, you have a brain injury. And you have an autoimmune disorder, and most people that have one don't have the other. And if they do, he said it's not a you're it's not a very good situation. He said, but what happened was you got this brain injury, and either the brain injury or you caught a cold or the flu or something, and it set off this autoimmune disorder that you have. And he said, um, basically, my immune system just went crazy through the roof and was fighting um, the coating on my nerves and the muscle tissue. It sees it as a virus. And so I take immune suppressants um, every day. Um, And he said, you know, give us two or three years and you'll be off of this med and it'll go into remission and you'll be okay. Yeah. And that was uh, in... 2017 and I'm still on the immune suppressants but 
I'm still here. I'm, I'm things, able to function though, a whole lot more. There are things, though, that, that, like I said, like with Anna's, with Anna's healing, sometimes we expect it to be instant. instant. And I remember praying two years, two or three years before this happened to Chris, and I had a vision. And the Lord doesn't speak to me very much in visions because I'm one that always has to talk, especially when I'm praying. And so usually, anyways, it was just, it was abnormal. And so I was praying... And I was taken to this hospital room. I was in this hospital room. I was sitting in this hospital room. And there was somebody in the bed. I didn't know who it was. And there was somebody else sitting beside the bed, holding the hand of the person in the bed, praying over them. And it was as clear as could be and said, I will touch their life, but I will not take it. He was laying in the bed, and I was holding his hand. And it was like the Lord brought that back to me. And it was in that moment, you couldn't tell me. Like every time that doctor would come in, after I, it was brought back to remembrance, what the Lord had said to me. I think it was me. the night where he told them he won't he won't see Christmas. Um, and so they had gotten that news that night. She went home, and that was the night that she printed all the scriptures. And she also printed a paper for the door that said something to effect, we speak faith here, and if you don't have faith, don't come in. And there was actually a nurse that wouldn't come into the room. Um for whatever reason, I don't think it was anything disrespectful, but she, they traded out nurses and got a different nurse to come in once she read the sign. I think she came in one time, and then she had read the sign, and she wouldn't come back in the room. I think it was probably more or less because she knew that I wasn't going to pull through. You know, But there that's... were things that they told you, like, like Dr. K, like when the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, I'll touch their life, but I won't take it, and in that moment, like when you were in the hospital and the Lord brought that back, you know, to my remembrance. And I had that, you know, to stand on. Didn't make it easy. Um, still didn't make it easy because you're the woman. Your husband's supposed to take care of you. We're a young couple. I'm not supposed to be taking care of somebody that cannot function on himself. Because at that point, not many people know this, so we're going to, I'm going to let you in on it. But at that mo at that point, Chris could not bathe himself. He could not dress himself. I had two small children. It was hard. I had to learn how to love somebody all over again um, because it altered his personality, his speech, his um, the way he thinks, his you know his moods. And there are some things that he cannot control. Um, the doctor told us that um, you know there were things that Chris would never be able to do. This has been Broken Roads Radio. Stay tuned next week as we dive into even more amazing stories.